Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another mindfulness episode as we explore the mindfulness paths on the Mindful You podcast. And today's guest, Amrit Singh, he's connecting with me from about 6,000 feet in the mountains of Mexico surrounded by nature and quiet and solitude. And that was an important ingredient that I found in my life. Having a quiet environment really aids in that development of mindfulness. And here he is living his life and earning a living in this beautiful, beautiful location in Mexico. His journey, deeply into meditation. 20 years of in India, you spend 20 years in India, you're deeply into meditation and spiritual stuff. And so he is going to share with us the ups and the downs, the realizations of his behaviors and the mask that he wore and the reasons why he wore the mask and, 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 and the releasing of the mask and the discovery of higher levels of, of mindfulness consciousness. So I'm just pleased to be able to bring his wisdom into the conversation how as he weaves his 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 patterns and stories of the body emotions and thoughts and how they all circle around and and, and integrate into creating the 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 reality that we we all live in so please welcome emrit singh to the mindful you podcast Welcome to the Mindful You podcast. Today, we have a special guest, Amrit Singh, who's coming from coming to us from Mexico. He says he lives at about 6,000 feet, beautiful environment, very conducive to quiet meditation and calming one's thoughts. So I am very much aligned with that, Amrit with creating an environment that allows you to settle settle your thoughts, which gives you that clarity of, of vision. And you've been on the journey for many, many years. So I'd like to ask you, the first question is, let's go back in time. Let's take a look at a life-changing kind of event that created an awakening from the, from the dreams of thoughts, is the way I put it that allowed you to say, whoa, wait a minute, there's something going on here, I didn't know, and therefore you shift your attention and you started to follow that, I'll call it the spiritual mindful path. So take our audience back in time and share with us a little bit about your journey, Emret. Well, first of all, thanks for having me, Alan, as a guest on your show, I very much appreciate it, it's an honor. My pleasure. So my journey, really, when I, when I dive into it, kind of started when I was four or five or six. And I was very connected to my spirituality. And I was very empathic. 
and I was super sensitive. I mean, to the point where I remember like going to get my hair cut or getting my nails cut was like such an intense experience because it affected my body so much. And that was just like one of the things where I could see that I was different from other people because other people were like, what do you mean? Like, that this is nothing, right? It's like, we shouldn't be feeling weird. And I was like, but I kind of do. And at that age, I, I didn't put two and two together because I thought everybody experienced the world the way I experienced it, you know, with all the magic in it, with all the, the beauty in it, with all the softness in it, with all the love in it. And then as I grew up, and I was like 9, 10, 11, a switch happened where I realized, oh, my God, this is not how other people experience the world. And also, I had this very close connection to my mother, who was very sensitive to my needs and was very protective of me and made it very easy. But then I was looking at other men. I was looking at my father. I was looking at the man on TV, which I admired, which were James Bond and Rambo. And I'm like, there's no sensitivity. They're just cool as a cucumber, always. Nothing that ever happens affects their emotions. They basically don't have emotions, I think. You know, so like when you're 11 and you're trying to make sense of a situation like that. So I had this really smart idea to toughen up. And I'm like, I'm going to be the, oh, it's okay to cuss on, on, your, on your podcast. I have to ask. So, say it again. Is, is it okay to use a, a heavier language on your podcast? Sure, why not? Okay, awesome. Thank you. So I was like, I'm going to become the toughest motherfucker out there. And I'm going to kick ass. And I'm going to be so tough. And I'm not going to have emotions. And I'm not going to let all this woo-woo stuff get me out of my center and I'm just gonna get what I want so I turned into this asshole and I turned into one of the biggest bullies in my school and I was you know I had a different girlfriend every week and I was like taking advantage of people left and right and I really developed that deep asshole identity which at that point gave me a lot of security gave me a lot of safety it gave me a lot of, oh, my God, I finally figured life out. I just have to wear this mask every day. I have to pretend I'm tougher than anyone else. You know, like one of the things where I would go out and, you know, pick fights with people. And for some miraculous reason in this whole 10-year period where I was that tough asshole, I never got my ass kicked. Because I always like, took it to the next level where it's like, okay, you know, I'm so tough. Oh, my God. I'm so tough that there is nothing which can affect me in that way. You know, so it's like I'm so strong and nothing will phase me. So that worked kind of, you know, like till 14, 15. And then I realized, oh, my God, I have no emotions. I have no feelings. I have no connection I have, you know, I'm not feeling myself. I was this shell of a being. And then one of my friends had some weed. And so we smoked weed together. Of course, the toughest 
MF in the house will smoke weed, right? And smoke a ton of weed because I can smoke more than anyone else. And I still remember I got so high and I wasn't able to contain the mask. And I connected with my emotion and I connected with my true being. And I was like, oh my God, what's happening now? Now I'm getting confused, right? Because I was like pretending to be this tough guy over here and then kind of craving this reconnection with my emotions and with myself and with my authentic identity. And that led me to, okay, I want more of that. I want more of that connection because it reminded me of how I was as a child. And so I had this bright solution, bright 15-year-old brain solution. I just need to smoke more weed. <laughs> so I smoked weed every single day, a ton, for seven years. And I was like, oh, my God. You know, the more weak I smoke, the more spiritual things get. And how amazing. I cracked the code, right? And then, and that happened a couple of years later, by the time I was 18, 19, I realized, oh, my God. Looking back one year, looking back two years, nothing has changed in my life. All I did is I smoked weed, ate chips, and watched TV and sat on my sofa, right? Nothing, nothing, nothing different. Nothing happened. You know, barely made it through school. I don't even know how. But that was the point where I was like, by the time I was 18, 19, you know, when the different part of the brains get engaged. And I was like, okay. Even though the smoking weed does something for me, I think I need something else. And then again, through a friend, I got introduced to Kundalini Yoga. And we would go with a whole gang of people, our whole crew, right? 20 of us going to this Kundalini Yoga class. And we're all like, oh, so cool doing Kundalini Yoga. More than half of us completely stoned by four o'clock in the afternoon already. Went through this class, was like, oh my God, what's happening? It's so hard and all these experiences. And if you know a little bit about Kundalini Yoga, it's, it's not just the yoga aspect, but it's really heavily focused on meditation, on going inwards. And it's being used as a tool to prepare your body for deep meditation. So I was meditating high out of my mind, thinking like, oh my God, what's going on here? This is so weird, but I like it. Is something interesting happening? So I was like, okay, I'm going back next week. And then the teacher was like, you know what? Love having 20 of you guys here. But the way this thing works with yoga is you can't come stoned. That's the one rule I have. You can do whatever you want, but you can get stoned afterwards. But before you come to the class, you can't come stoned. And so we were all like, oh, shit, you know, and 15 of my friends dropped off. They're like, eh, this stupid yoga stuff is not for us. But a small group of us decided to go back and practice sober. And so I went through those first couple of weeks of my practice, and suddenly I was able to connect to the spiritual part, which I had gotten a taste of through my weed smoking journey. And I was like, oh, my God, I can do this without smoking weed. And that was kind of the big aha moment for me. So I, I think I was 19, 20. I made my decision. I said, okay, I'm going to go to this yoga festival I had heard about. They were practicing this three-day white tantric yoga thing. And I had to drive from Berlin all the way down to 
near Paris where the festival was happening. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to drive there. I was going with two friends. One canceled the week before, the other one canceled the day before. And I was like, oh my God, I've never been on any trip in my life by myself. I'm like freaking out. But I had this deep internal voice where I was like, I have to go. And so I got in my car and I drove towards Amsterdam to buy some weed on the way and then smoked that because I had to finish all of that before the yoga festival because I was super clear that I would do this week sober. And that was for me the biggest challenge, you know, to get sober and to stop smoking because it had been seven years and been the cigarettes and like, I mean, I was smoking a pack of cigarettes on top of it, drinking alcohol, all of this stuff, right? But I had this clear mindset that if I go for this practice, I'm going to do it sober. And so I got there and I still remember smoking my last cigarette, driving up to the gate and parking my car and then like, I'm doing this. So I got in there and, you know, it's a whole bunch of hippies, people with turbans, people with beards, people playing guitars. I'm like, oh, my God, where am I? I'm in hippie land, right? <laughs> and, you know, me as this, this tough guy was like, oh, my God, hippies everywhere. It's all ridiculous, right? So it was a real powerful experience. And then day one happened, right? And I didn't get to smoke and I didn't have all my junk food and they were serving mung beans and rice and I couldn't eat any of it. So I didn't eat for four days. I had cold sweats at night. I was struggling and I was like, okay, doesn't matter. I'm going to do this because I can do this. I'm not dependent on my addictions. So I forced my way through it, you know, doing the yoga classes, like completely drenched every single time, sweating like crazy. You know, everybody else just doing this easy things, holding their arms up. I'm like dripping my whole outfit, completely drenched. But I did it. Yes. And then I went into this white tantric practice, which is a non-sexual meditation way where you sit with a partner and you meditate for eight hours a day doing these super hard kriyas where you hold your arms up, hold your arms forward for an hour at a time. Oof. And it blew my mind. I mean, I went to stages where the weed had never taken me. And I was like, I still remember this moment where I was just sitting and being like, oh, my God, I, I'm, I'm so high. I don't think I can even move, you know, with a big, silly grin, like all the other hippies, right, on my face. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm becoming a hippie. What's happening? <laughs> so it was this so profound experience. And just to wrap the story up, I, I was like, okay, when I get out of here after a week, I'll buy some cigarettes. I'm going to drive back to Amsterdam and buy a lot of weed because this was so intense. And it was, was the second last night of the festival. I didn't have an alarm clock. I was in this tiny little tent. I had missed the morning practice the day before because I didn't get up when I had the sense to get up. There was a time where you didn't have a, a, a clock even. I didn't have a watch with me. There was no phones, right, with the time on it. And so I got up early and they started the morning practice at 4.30 a.m. And I was like, it kind of feels like 4.30 a.m. I have no clue what time it is, but I'm not missing another day of this morning practice. I'm getting up. And so I got up and I didn't have a clue what time it was. It was pitch black. So I was like, okay, let me walk to my car, check the time. It was 2.30 a.m. I was like, okay, whatever. Now I walked already for half a kilometer. It doesn't matter. I'm staying awake. I'm going to go take my cold shower, right? Which was this yogic practice. 
So I walk into the shower and there's no one there. And I'm like, oh, great. You know, I can take a shower. It's not so weird with a bunch of other older naked men in the shower. You know, in Europe, you know, everybody's naked. It's, a, it's an, an open communal shower. And then suddenly this one guy walks in. And I was like, oh, my God, this guy looks like he's 80 years old. You know, like this face, super old and super, you know, he, he just looked beaten up. And we started talking and he tells me he's like 38. And he said like, oh, I had these issues with heroin addiction and like with the cocaine and this and that and all the heavy stuff. And I was like, oh my God, this guy. And then he tells me one thing. He says like, you know, because then I open up, I'm like, oh yeah, I also smoke weed. And he's like, ah, you smoke weed, funny, you know, like I do all the heavy stuff. He's like, do you know that after you're done with this powerful meditation practice, you need to, for 40 days, not take any drugs, not smoke, not drink, not do anything so it can integrate into your body? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I had heard all, all those guys with the turbans and the beards talked about it. And I, I was like, yeah, pff, I'm not going to do that. You know, I want to smoke. That's right. But then this guy tells me, and he was like an angel sent to me in that moment. He, this guy was probably the only one out of all the 500 people at the festival who I could hear this from because he was, you know, so much further down that road. And I was like, this guy's right. I have to do this. And so that started my first 40 days of complete abstinence. Day 41, I smoked again, <laughs> unfortunately. It took me a whole nother year to go back to the yoga festival and repeat it. Then I lasted three months. Then it was six months. And then ultimately, after four, four years of doing this, I was like, okay, I'm done. I'm not going back to another six months of living a clean life and then getting back sucked in with my friends and with the environment. And I was like, you know what? I'm moving to India. And so that's a whole nother story. That's quite a journey, Emirate. Quite, quite a journey of, of discovery, of the realization that the drugs created a veil. And when you practice being sober, the veil began to lift. And then it wanted to come back again. Then it lit to come back again. And pretty soon you realize that there was a space beyond the the drugs that was available um, if you could maintain that that the, be being sober so that's quite a a story yeah. of discipline also being able to do do the meditation do the arms out do all those extraordinarily things that you think are impossible um, and then the benefit is uh, is is realization so let's go into the realization part of meditation how would you describe for people who have not gone as far as you that journey of realization what did you realize beyond uh, i can do this without drugs what was the spiritual realization the self-realization uh, that that you experienced for me the biggest realization was that that was not something i had to learn I had to get, I had to practice. For me, the realization was that all I had to do is come back to my inner knowledge. 
for me, the most beautiful example is for all of us humans is when you see a baby with their mother nursing, and we were all babies, right? We were all in that stage. We were all in our mother's belly, and then we were nursing afterwards. And you see what a deep, profound state of meditation that baby goes into when it's nursing. And then you think about, oh, my God, that's that same baby, which just four months ago was in the belly, in a headstand, meditating for 24 hours every single day. That was us. That was the ability we came with into this life. That was the depth of meditation. We have the capacity to reach and create. And again, to come back to the example of the mother with the baby, it's like when you see a baby nursing with its mother, you see how the mother goes into that state of meditation. That's not because the mother is such an amazing meditator and she practiced so many years. It's because that baby creates such a vibration that it pulls the mother with it. And then you got two people meditating. And then you have someone who walks in the room and it's like, oh, I was so task. Oh, and then they realize these two in meditation and they go quiet. And all people really want to do, and it's so morally labeled now, is sit there and stare and stare at this beautiful adventure of nature, how mother is feeding their baby and being in this deep state of meditation and just become part of that. You know, now we're all conditioned to like, oh, don't look at her boobs. You know, am I looking at her boobs? Oh my God, so bad. You know, like this. And then one conditioning further is maybe she shouldn't breastfeed in public because it makes me feel uncomfortable because I have to look at her boobs. And that kind of reminds me of the, the burqa in, <laughs> in Islam, you know, like makes me uncomfortable that you are not wearing clothes. So, you know, please don't do that. But that's a different story again. So really, back to your question, what's the biggest self-realization? That you have already done it. And you've done it in this lifetime. Not like 18 reincarnations ago when you're a monk at a temple where you're sitting and meditating 14 hours a day. No, in this lifetime, you have been the most highest capacity meditator already. And if you can just reconnect with that truth, and you can just slow down and become still. That's amazing and beautiful. And it's really, you know, there's so many beautiful techniques to use. Kundalini yoga is one. For some people, it's walking. For other people, it's picking up a good book and reading. There's, there's a million ways how you can come closer to yourself and closer to that state of calmness and balance. The words you used were to slow down and become still. And I find that the that's that's pretty much my experience of 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 that space and and you described it as it's already there. I, I recall, a book that I enjoyed as a child, Jonathan Livingston Seagull. Mm. And the great goal was training Jonathan how to fly. And Jonathan was an independent seagull and didn't do the things the flock wanted the flock to do. And he did barrel rolls and wanted to get better. And, 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 and all of a sudden, after practicing and practicing, 
he's flying and the and the and the great golden gull appears and tells and tells Jonathan that you have to imagine that you're already there in yeah. order to in order to achieve what what you want and in my observation and jump in it would be the realization that it's a it's a discovery of something that is already there and but i need to remove the veil i need to remove the blocks so how does one remove the veil how does one remove the blocks that that block the perception it's such a beautiful thing and what what came to me when you said you have to imagine that you're already there that's like one of the things you know a lot of people talk about manifestation and just manifest and imagine it's really you know it takes you from imagination as the first layer into belief as the second layer and belief is really why religions had such a big surge over the last 2000 years right you know, here comes the priest, he looks all spiritual, and he tells you, believe this, and you'll be, you know, so you're already one step closer. But really what it's about is you need to know. And when you have that deep inner knowing of your spiritual nature, of your knowing that you are a spiritual being, having a physical life experience as a human, rather than being a human being, having a spiritual experience, when you know that, and you don't just believe or you don't just imagine, that's when it starts getting real. Because knowledge and experience is really the most powerful thing. And this cannot be my knowledge and my experience. I can share that with you. That might help you believe better. But ultimately, you need to step into your own experience. So my recommendation would be do anything that gets you to experience your own spiritual nature. And again, there's hundreds and hundreds of ways which can take you there. For me, Kundalini Yoga worked because it was extreme. It was really intense. It had all these crazy spiritual practices in it. And that was just for my frequency, a match. So I could stick with it. But for other people, Buddhism works. For someone else, reading from the Quran works. For someone else, it's doing breath work every day. It really, you need to find out what works for you. What is the thing where you have had an experience, where you got a little closer to your authentic self? And then stick with that and do more of it and dive into it and have fun with it and smile and enjoy and say like, I get to do this. I choose to do this because I know if I really dig this well deep, I will get to my spiritual nature. Mm, absolutely. Challenges. Challenges are, are the discipline that it takes to overcome the thoughts that want you to go this way. When you know, and another part of you knows that, yeah, those are the ways I could go, but I know I need to go this way. <laughs> in order to achieve that spiritual, which means I need to give up that way. Um, and so there's a there's a giving up of something. Can you describe a little bit of the of the practice and the giving up and 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 how you can strengthen those those muscles? It's a hard one because 
like in my work, I deal with such a different breadth of people, right? There are some people who are super mental and super powerful in their mind. And they can say like, I can give up anything tomorrow. I can never again smoke a cigarette. And, you know, it's like people smoke for 30 years and they can stop in a day and just through the power of their mind, force them through it and do it. And then you get these other people over here who are very connected with and intuitive with themselves. And they are like, I don't know. And it pulls me and the challenge pulls me. And then I do that. And then my friends were smoking a cigarette. So I smoked one again. You know, like, so you got that whole array of people. And what I found is there's really no good or bad way in doing this. The only way that really is successful with any of those challenges, because we all face, face them every day. Yep. I mean, I've been on my spiritual path for 30 years now, and it's 9.30 this morning. I already faced it three times, right? It's like it happens every day to all of us. There is not the point where you're like, oh, my God, life is so beautiful. No more challenges, you know. <laughs> and so what I learned is the most powerful thing, which keeps me connected to my authentic identity, is to accept the challenges as a lesson on my spiritual path and to be like, okay, I mess up here. Okay, I ate that whole chocolate bar, even though I know for my physical, spiritual, emotional, this, that, you know, a journey, this is not the right thing. But I can come back to that and love myself and love myself so deeply and so profoundly that the next day when I want to eat another chocolate bar, I can say like, hmm, maybe I eat half. I know I have the power of my mind to just cut it off and never eat a piece of chocolate again in my lifetime. Because that's sometimes easier, right? Than just saying, oh, I just eat two. But really, it, it, creates, this, it creates this contraction. And so I'm always very careful in my work with my clients to not allow this contraction to come into life. Yeah. Where they are thinking, oh my God, I have to be a vegan now. I have to you know, meditate for two hours a day. I need to exercise every day. I can never say a bad word again. I need to be kind and uplifting to everybody. And if I mess up, then, oh, forget about it. You know, I, I can't do it. I'm just not made for this. But to really take it from the other side and say like, and that moment you mess up is the biggest opportunity for growth because it's not that you messed up. That's already in the past. It's how you show up for yourself in the here and now, even though you messed up. And there's so much compassion and so much love in that. And if you can expand from that point for, with compassion for yourself, it just completely takes all the energy out of the challenge. Beautiful. Beautifully. I like the way you have articulated that 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 experience the accept the challenge uh, and accept is a big word to accept something that you don't want to happen but it happened yeah. uh, to be able to accept that uh, ties in with that ability to forgive yeah 
to to forgive yourself, uh, to forgive the action, to forgive other people for the action, to forgive, to forgive, to forgive, to forgive, rather than that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. Mm -hmm. To me, if you say it's wrong, it's like you you punch yourself in the face. Oh, yeah. Yeah, But if you forgive yourself, you surround yourself with love and kindness and compassion for the spiritual being that you are. And so I definitely underline and support the idea of of the of of the kindness and the compassion for yourself. There's some I'm trying to remember one of the one liners uh, that that I remember from my from my journey and maybe it will come in our conversation. But it has something to do with the ability to uh, love love yourself. Yeah. Um, and if you can uh, love yourself for what yourself is doing, uh, and, and and the love for me is allowing. And I'll just share one of the ones that I learned was from Werner Earhart in the the FDS training back in the seventies and eighties. He said, "You don't have to go looking for love when it's where you come from." Mm-hmm. He also said that love is giving something or someone the space to be what they are, or what they not. So you begin to give yourself space to screw up and all of a sudden screw up stops becoming so painful and you screw up less. Uh, You become more relaxed and and less tense with your body. And so that is definitely a a big, big point that you made about the the acceptance and the forgiveness piece is just uh, uh, part of the part of the journey, a milestone on the journey. Wonderful. That is is a wonderful insight. And then it really ties into that bigger, a little bit more spiritual concept of what we are experiencing today as our reality is of our own making, mm-hmm. of our past actions, of our past beliefs. And this, this is a funny one, because especially in the spiritual community, especially with people who are struggling, who are not making money, or who are like, going through some processes or have an issue in their relationship, they're saying like, yeah, yeah, I'm a very spiritual person. But that thing with the money is certainly not of my making. Or this problem in my relationship is really because my partner is so uncaring and so unsensitive. So I really need to like split up for my partner because then I can truly experience myself as the light and what I'm meant to be. And so all these things in the outside world block me from my success. So when you tie that together, you can really go into that deep, honest, giving forward to forgive. You give forward for yourself. You say, oh my God, I had a really rough day in my marriage today. And I created that. Mm-hmm. Even though my head believes it's all my wife's fault, or maybe mm-hmm. 89% my wife's fault, <laughs> right? But I created that. And when you really get to that point of spiritual connection where you can say like, oh my God, the reason my life is the way it is, is because of my doing, not because the world did this or my boss did that or my parents raised me like that. It carries so much ownership and self-responsibility where you also can understand. And now I have all the power to make the change. 
And again, it sounds like this woo woo, yeah, you got all the power, you can be the change, la la la. But when you tie those pieces together and you can accept and forgive yourself for the shitty situation you're in today, that's when you can reconnect with your true internal vibration. And then cool stuff starts happening. Yeah. Then suddenly you get that job you want. You know, you start making more money. Suddenly your partner behaves much nicer and you're like, wow, they really changed. <laughs> right? There's that, that cool uh, quote from Mark Twain, which I love so much, where he talks about, when I was 18 years old, my dad was a complete idiot. By the time I was 23, that man had learned a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so I always remind myself of that, you know, to really be like, yes, it is about how I show up. And that's the only thing that counts. I, I, I one, one thought comes to my mind. And it has to do with the thoughts that come to my mind. I, the realization that the thoughts that come to my mind are like paint on the canvas. And if I can realize the thoughts, notice the thoughts, observe the thoughts, witness the thoughts, watch the thoughts, all of a sudden there becomes a space between me and the thoughts. And in that space, I now have a choice about what I want to paint on the internal screen of my interpretation of what's going on out there. And I can paint it with love and kindness, or I can paint it with the ego attack thoughts. But the discovery is that what I paint inside is what I see outside. And that is definitely woo-woo stuff. What's the connection? What's the happening? (laughs) Hey, hey, hey. Yep. It's it's, it's a damn miracle what it is. Yeah, you're right. And that's the power, Amrit, of meditation. Because meditation for me is the ability to manage your thoughts, to be able to observe the thoughts and then choose whether or not you want to pursue that path of thinking or to stop that path from thinking, give it, take life support away and put life support over towards the spiritual. And it's yeah. just the management of the thoughts. And yeah. thoughts are are just things that, that happen and disappear, happen and disappear, and happen and disappear. And where are they disappeared to? They disappear into that empty space of nothing. Yeah, I love that. And I would even add, it takes it even a step further when you see like, okay, I'm thinking this thought. I'm telling myself this story because there's these repetitive thoughts, right? Of I'm unworthy or I'm this or I'm that. Or like, oh, I will never be there, or I can't do what others can do. And that takes you to an emotion. And that emotion becomes then super important. And now suddenly you're feeling this frustration. You're feeling this sadness. You're feeling this this struggle inside yourself. And then that emotion starts affecting your body, right? And then your body starts collapsing. Your shoulders go forward. Your head starts lumping. And then you're like, oh, my God, this thought story I was thinking did this to me. And now you can turn this around. Now you can go from the bottom up. You can say, oh, I want to hold my my shoulders 
back. I want to stay, sit up straight. I want to feel an emotion of expansion, of, of greatness, of connection. And then what, what happens to your thoughts? And now suddenly your thoughts go like, oh, what? We can't run our old story here? And then it starts coming like, oh, maybe I am good. Maybe I am spiritual. Maybe I, I can do this. And so it's this really cool connection between the body, the emotions, and the thoughts, and then back to the thoughts, the emotions, and the body. And it keeps going in a circle. And just this, this is what I love about meditation so much. Meditation for me is really an awareness practice of this circle between body, emotion, and thoughts, and how each affects the other one. And so what I found is that the more I can be aware of what's going on, what my thoughts create, because we're so trained to just relate to our thoughts, right? Especially for us men, right? Oh, we don't need emotions. Rambo and James Bond, right? That, that's where I was earlier. And it then now suddenly becomes this ability to, to be conscious of it. Mm -hmm. Rather than this thing happens mm -hmm. all day long, 24-7, unconsciously anyway. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to choose to do this or not to do this because it's happening. <laughs> it's happening for every single one who is listening to us here. But when you start going into, when I think this thought, what emotion do I feel? And is this an emotion that uplifts me and yep. expands me? Or is this an emotion which makes me small and contracted? Yep. And how does it feel in my body? Do I want to feel like that in my body? Yep. And it becomes so interesting because now suddenly you can start replacing things and start thinking new patterns. And then out of that conscious thinking pattern of the conscious practice doing your meditation, now over weeks, months, and years, it becomes unconscious. And you unconsciously think these uplifting and expanding thoughts And you unconsciously go into these expanding emotions and unconsciously now your body is aligning and you don't even have to do much for it, except keep up with your daily meditation. Because the moment you stop, it goes like, wow, it takes about two weeks to six weeks before you're right back to where you started. <laughs> wow, that was a rich, rich conversation you just had there uh, of just, woo. Uh, definitely the, the, the body, the emotions, and the thoughts are, are connected. And most people, my observation of it is they don't have that realization. They don't realize that, that uh, every time I have a thought, it creates, it's an energy form that creates tension yeah. in my body. And... The, the more the thoughts are, quote, negative, defending my ego, the more the more you have offended me, the more tension that I experience in my body, Amrit. And as the tension begins to build up, the wrongness of your actions become louder and louder. And now we need to fix. And so you watch this swirling of, 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 of vortex of, of energy that can be stopped just by becoming aware of tension in my body, oh, I think I'll take a breath and I'm just going to relax, just going to drain that tension out of my body. And I can do that whether I'm a first grader or whether I'm a senior citizen. I can drain the energy from my body 
don't need to be in India. I can just drain the energy, drain the tension from my body and return to that space of stillness. And boy, that would be a great training to start early. So you don't need to go through all that drugs and and bullying and ego and taking things personally. Just practice the stillness uh, yeah. in a very structured way. But you're absolutely right, is that you got to do it regularly. Uh, <laughs> you can't, you, which, which is a discipline. It's like working out, right? If you go to the gym for two years every day, And then you're like, oh, I'm all fit now. I can stop. Look at yourself <laughs> six weeks later or three months later. So the mind just works the same way. Which, is, which to me is great news because when you realize that you have the ability to manage your thoughts, to manage the tension in your body, to be aware of your emotions, then you're no longer a victim of the outer world. You now are a A, a being inside this 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 body that I can now generate thoughts and positive things, and I have the ability to vibrate the air with my speaking, yeah, with love and kindness, because my body feels better. Then when I get upset, my ego feels good, but my body is is suffering because right. of my desire to defend rather than my desire to love. Yeah. Amrit, it's just a, a, a joy meeting a traveler like yourself on, mm -hmm. on the journey. It's a joy to have you share the authenticity of your of your journey and to share with us the, 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 the good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, mm -hmm. And out of that good, bad, and ugly emerges the lotus flower, emerges yeah. the flower of being, the flower of enlightenment, And you certainly have had your share of mud, uh, but oh, yet, yeah. yet the mud has made a beautiful flower growing on 6,000 feet on the beautiful hills of Mexico. And I just want to thank you very much for, for sharing your wisdom and sharing your beingness and sharing your spirituality, sharing the grace that you are. Uh, and, and how can our audience reach out to you uh, to, to connect with you? I got a couple of different ways. Let me start with the most fun one. The fun one to connect with me is through TikTok because I love being on my TikTok account. I put a lot of videos out there over the last two years and it will really give you a good taste of what's going on in my life. So that's, that's a really fun way. And then you can just message me there. I know for those people who are not on TikTok, you can find me on Facebook, you can find me on Instagram. Um, the websites you can find me at I do something very specific and it's a new program I'm super excited about right now is I work with married men who have recognized that the gap in their relationships is widening and it's just like through the passive approach to it, it just doesn't get better. It's been getting worse and worse and worse, right? To the point where they're like, I know if I don't do anything about this in two years, five years, 10 years, We're going to be divorced, like all my friends. And I don't want to do that. And so I work with only those men and bring them into my program. And we work on very simple tools on how you discover needs, how you communicate, how you 
become emotionally available. And I use all these techniques of yoga and meditation in there, but I don't lead with that because I tried that, you know, say like, oh my God, you know, we can do all this amazing yoga meditation stuff. And people are like, eh, you know, I don't want that. But people want to save their marriages. Sure. And so for me, it's been such a beautiful, uplifting, amazing journey to connect with these men who are saying like, okay, I'm in, I feel something with this guy. I want to connect with him. I know I need to do something in my relationship because it's not getting better by itself. And I just love working with that group of people at the same time. So for that, we can put the link below. It's marriagereconnectionroadmap.com. But I also do regular one-on-one coaching. I only take a couple of clients um, in there every month, but also want to expand this to women or people not in relationships struggling with this issue. I do one-on-one consultations too. So if you're interested in connecting with me, you can find me on coachingnow.info. I think Wonderful. I my advertisement cool. now. That's great. Thank you. I broadcast it out to the universe. Who knows who's going to hear it? When the message is right, like the man in the shower, uh, this just happens to show up as an angel comes into your life. You're like an angel coming into people's life, Amrit. So thank you very much for your thank grace you and kindness. And thank you for being such a wonderful guest on the Mindful You podcast. Thank you for listening. And please catch us on the next great episode of the Mindful You podcast. And please share us with your friends and fellow travelers on the path.